Welcome to Oncology Onward, Conversations with Innovators and Changemakers in Cancer Care, a new podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Maggie Shaw, Senior Editor at the American Journal of Managed Care. On our fourth episode of Oncology Onward, Drs. Emilana Vicky and Stephen Sleiker sit down for a conversation with Robin Shaw, co-founder and CEO of TimeCare, which he started in 2020 with Dr. Barbie Green, President and Chief Medical Officer. A biomedical engineer by education, Shaw spent the first five years of his professional career as practice administrator and business manager at Gettysburg Cancer Center, working with his father, a community oncologist. From there, he moved to Flatiron Health and in July of 2017, helped to found One Oncology. TimeCare was founded in July of 2020, and in August of this year announced a successful $60 million Series B round of investment capital. Also an angel investor, this entrepreneur in oncology care innovation has been guided by a patient-first mentality and the principal goal of positively changing how patients experience the cancer care system. Welcome to our next episode of Oncology Onboard with Emeline Vicky and myself and one of our closest friends, one of the biggest entrepreneurs in oncology care innovation, Robin Shaw. Um, I'll try to be quick um, with Robin's intro, but this guy, Robin, how old are you, by the way? Ooh, uh, do you I want to answer that? Less, Robin, you're less than 40, right? I'm less than 40. All right, so Robin's less than 40. I'm sitting here in New York where Emeline and I met. Meeting Robin as like a plus one at a flat iron event. I meet this guy who's like young 30, but cooler than I am at the time. Chat with Robin. And then I get home and see a press release that Flatirons just sold to Roche for over $2 billion. Fast forward. I'm taking a job at Tennessee Oncology here in Nashville. I meet Robin again. He's like, oh, I'm going to move to Nashville as well. Come to Nashville, find out Robin is one of the co-founders of One Oncology, another company that just sold for $2 billion. Um... Fast forward, Robin and I become close friends. I'm sitting with Robin about two and a half years ago, getting a drink together in Nashville. And Robin's like, Stephen, I have like another really cool idea. How do we help patients navigate cancer care? And we'll, and we'll get into this. I want, I want Robin to be able to tell this. Um, but this ended up becoming Time Care, which just has been extremely successful, changing how patients experience the cancer system and just had a $60 million raise in addition to an earlier raise um, when they launched. So Robin truly is an entrepreneur in healthcare. What I love about Robin is it's always patient first. And I know that both on what he does with his companies, but also as a, as a close friend and how he treats my family and our friends. And Emmeline, I know you guys have a great relationship as well. So Robin, so excited to spend some time with you. Uh, I feel like the podcast could end right now, but I, I, but I want to hear I want to hear from you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on, Stephen and Emmeline. And, and I think not only are you a really close friend, Stephen, you are my biggest cheerleader. Uh, and and you, I think you should intro me everywhere I go. Robin, I will go with you wherever you want, anytime. <laughs> um, Emeline, well, I'll let you start us off, Emeline. All right, so first of all, you know, our our podcast, the name of it, the short name is Oncology Onward, but the longer name, which we no longer use because it's too long, is 
change makers in oncology care, change makers and innovators in oncology care. And Robin, you are the definition. You you inspired the podcast essentially. So I would love, I think we'd all love for you to walk us through where this innovation came from around you creating time care with you know your team. Where did it come from? What was your goal when you first founded it? And do you see that happening now? Yeah. Uh I appreciate I appreciate that, Emily. I would I would say first off, you two are the doctors who are truly making an impact in people's lives every day. Um, <clears throat> some background: I I have been working in oncology for fifteen plus years now, uh, and I think you both know this, but for others, uh, my family all sort of works in this space. So my my father is a medical oncologist in the community also a, a partner at One Oncology. My little brother is a community oncologist, also a part of a One Oncology practice. And my older brother works in ops at One Oncology. So really through and through oncology, through the organization, uh, through the through the family. And uh, some of the background, I, I spent the first five years of my career working in my father's community practice. And uh, I'm an engineering by background, so I, I sort of went and got my biomedical engineering degree on undergrad and, and learned really quickly that I like to solve problems. And if you if you have that perspective of working in a community oncology practice or an oncology practice, you start to see a lot of the things that uh, that are just not focused on. There's too much for the physicians to to really do. And there's no one in the practices that is working on how to solve for these problems. And a lot of what I heard in my in my father's practice was we do things because that's just the way we do things. Uh, and and that really uh, propelled me uh, when we when I went to Flatiron Health in 2012 was how do we solve for problems that you hear from a technology perspective and oncology practices but you just never, no one ever focused on because no one had that background. And Robin, we, can I, just because I know this, I, explain to the group of us how like that practice set up and how small it is, because this is really cool of what you experience and then thinking of all this stuff. Sorry, Robin. Yeah. So when I joined my father's practice, it was, he was a solo practitioner who had this passion for bringing cancer care close to home. And so for those that are, are really close to the oncology space or community oncology, a solo oncologist who decided to build a 55,000 square foot building, a 20,000 square foot cancer center in a small community in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where he also purchased a, a linear accelerator, a PET CT, an MR, CT, X-ray, and every uh, every oncology uh, service line within one roof. And the vision was patients should not have to drive 30 minutes to an hour to get these services. They're cancer patients, and they are coming in daily, weekly, monthly, and let's build a close to home experience. Um, and so after I joined him, there was a lot of things that happened. Some of that was competitive. Some of that was the hospitals, as a lot of you have experienced before. Some of that was with U.S. Oncology, uh, which is a great learning experience. Um, but ultimately, what we learned is you have to expand and build and grow upon uh, your, your practice to be able to provide these services at scale. And so the technology boom there was during my time in my father's practice, the High Tech Act was implemented where it required EHRs and no one had really thought about EHRs, but you were required to do it because if you didn't put an EHR in, uh, and again, for those that are newer to how uh, oncology practices work, you took a Medicare hit 
on your reimbursement. And given Medicare represents 50% of your patient panel, if you took a one, two or 3% uh, reimbursement hit, it would impact your business significantly. So oncology adoption in EHRs was probably one of the fastest in the space. And what we learned is that when you adopted the EHR, there was all of this data living in the EHR, but no one was using it in a meaningful way. And uh, and so when when we, we started learning about that, I, I met the founders of Flatiron Health who were on a similar journey. And that company effectively propelled quickly based on the unlocking of data for not only clinical research, but designing, building, and understanding quality and value-based models. Uh, and that was 2012 to 2018. Uh, and, and that sort of, that helped me meet some of the greatest oncologists out there, the docs at Tennessee Oncology, the docs at New York Cancer and Blood, the docs at the West Clinic. Uh, those are the founding practices of One Oncology. And that's really what's spun uh, that organization. I mean, can we go back and we're going to get to time care, but this is fast because Flatiron to me and granted part of its age, because that we were all there when like Flatiron, we're like, oh, what is this company? It's just, it blew up. What, what, not, how did you like, so you met the founders of Flatiron, you're sitting there working in your dad's practice, meet the founders of Flatiron, what number employee are you, and kind of what was that ride like? Because it was one of the, the first big private sector oncology care delivery companies that had a huge exit, and again, I'm still a Flatiron customer today. Yeah, no, I, so uh, I, I would say top, the one of the first five, it, it's always, it's always unclear in startups, not, and now I know this. So it's unclear because you're all so you're all sort of starting at the same time and you're figuring you're out. You're before Brenton Fargnoli, right? <laughs> so so Brenton, honestly, he's the he's the first person uh, that I that started to work very closely with me when he joined in 2014, 2015, uh, and and honestly, I think helped change the value based space in general. Uh, but but going into Flatiron, I didn't really understand startups. I, I came from an oncology practice and the startup world was new to me. And so this idea that startups don't all aren't all successful was this is odd to me. I when I joined the company, I was like, yeah, like this is a great idea. It's gonna be successful. I never had a doubt in my mind. And I never had a doubt that it wouldn't exit for less than a billion dollars. And when I heard later, like, hey, the the likelihood of $1 billion exits is pretty low. And, and Flatiron is a unicorn. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I didn't think about that when I was the fourth or fifth person there. And I took that into one oncology. Like, I never expected one oncology to be less valuable or any less uh, high of an exit as, as Flatiron, just because, you know, I'm a, I'm a relatively positive person, Stephen. I just, the, the problems were very big. And, when you're solving big problems that are complicated, you know that there's there's massive opportunity. So Robin. The space itself is is part of the reason why there are these such big exits because there's so much opportunity on oncology. There's so much that can be improved and optimized and it's very costly. Well, so I think there's like three things that I think about. Number one, and one of the things that I love about One Oncology, Flatiron and, and Time Care is uh, in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, you had a bunch of problems in this very complex space, uh, but you didn't, from my experience working in the practice, you didn't have the biggest innovators solving technical problems working in community oncology. They were working at Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter solving optimization problems on how to surface the best advertisement to people. 
And what I think the greatest thing that came out of Flatiron and all the companies that have come since in oncology is you're bringing some of the smartest people in the world coming to work on problems in oncology. And I think that's honestly what has propelled a lot of the, the value in the space is one, smart people coming to the industry. And number two, it's a big problem. And so as you get more smart people coming, you start to uncover more problems. And you've seen this acceleration in oncology startups over the last 10 years because of what happened at Flatiron Health. I should say, by the way, for the record, Brenton is one of my favorite people who was my, I was his plus one to meet Robin the night of their exit. Um, Robin's super cool. Can I, and then I want to jump to time care, but briefly because one off is so timely. Um, what was the impetus for, and I, one of the reasons I'm at my current job audience is because of Robin and, and Jeff Patton, who we've interviewed uh, beforehand as well. But quickly, like just from the Flatiron perspective, which was a key component of the one oncology creation, what was the impetus behind like, hey, let's go do this, th this new thing? Yeah, so so while we were at Flatiron, a lot of what we started to invest in, and and Brenton Bargnoli was a key uh, component uh, or, or or driver of this was how do we really work with oncology practices that do want to transform uh, to alternative or value based models, and how do you use technology to do that? And we started to build relationships with practices all across the country, and quickly realized that. All of these practices that were value-based forward were doing very similar things, slight derivatives, but weren't learning from each other. And uh, and if we thought, well, if you were able to put all these great groups together, how impactful of a business could you build to truly impact community oncology? And three of the greatest practices out there that helped start one oncology were Tennessee Oncology, New York Cancer, and Blood in the West Clinic of which a lot of us from Flatiron had lived in these clinics for years. We implemented an EHR, we implemented solutions for the oncology care model. Uh, we had inc been incubating a bunch of other technology solutions. And we sort of took that and said, hey, why don't we incubate an idea where we bring these groups together to found a company. And uh, as all startups operate, an idea started to snowball into something big and in 2018, it just made sense. And, and the company took off uh, with Tennessee Oncology being the first partner on uh, New York Cancer and Blood and West shortly coming thereafter. It's a very practice. It's a very practical practice-based management solution, but clearly it was all inspired from winning or succeeding in value-based care. So I think it, it would have been a good idea even without value-based care existing, but that was the reason why it all came together. And it just made so much sense on so many different levels where you could achieve scale. Um, but I think it's I think it's just so interesting that even in the absence of a value-based care world, it still would have been a great idea. And so oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's great leadership that all three of those practices, as well as all of the one oncology practices that exist, I think there's 14, big partners now, Stephen, you might know better than numbers, but more than that, yeah. all of the practices that I believe that are a part of one oncology are innovators in their market, are uh, extremely thoughtful, are value-based oriented. And I would say that you see similarities in US oncology, great practices in, in the US oncology network that all have like-minded value-based centric uh, models. And so it's exciting to see organizations all 
shifting in this direction. The third big MSO is, is American Oncology Network. And I think that they're also doing a lot of value-based alternative models that uh, that oncology did not have 10 years ago. So, And, and congrats on y'all's AON partnership, Robin, um, as well. Um, Emily had asked about time care earlier to come back to kind of the impetus of that. I remember, Robin, it, it's cool for you to share this story. I remember the first time me and you were sitting down and you're like, Stephen, how many times this week has someone reached out to you a friend of a friend in New York or wherever. I do this to Emmeline like once a week with, with some, we're always doing this. Like, hey, I have a friend who has cancer. What did they do? Can you kind of walk us through how that path led to the creation of now a very impactful, successful company? Yeah, so I, I think the, the thing I'll say is the company started from that core concept right there, right? We all get that phone call. You both get it. I get it. My co-founder, uh, Bobby Green gets that as well as we've been working in oncology for so long and we just know so many people in oncology and people know us as the folks that understand oncology and that problem that we that we're helping people on probably on a daily weekly monthly basis for all of us makes us look at this industry and say why is it so complicated to figure these things out like why are people that are educated that are affluent uh, that have access are struggling to get to the right answer or the right place. And so that was the genesis of why we started Time Care. I would tell you with my oncology background at my dad's practice at Flattern at One Oncology, there was a world that I never understood, which was the health plan or risk-bearing world. Uh, but I knew that there was a problem that I wanted to solve for in regards to helping cancer patients. And what I started to learn was that these two organizations that were supposed to support people through that journey, the health insurance plan or the risk-bearing entity and the oncology practice are completely different worlds. They don't actually speak the same language. And if you could try to decipher between the two, you can ultimately create a better experience for the patient or the member. And that's actually the biggest learning that I think Bobby, myself and other folks at TimeCare have pulled away is we know oncology really well. We've been doing this. I think you know this. There's, I think, 12 people from Flatiron Health that are at Time Care. So people that have been it working. It says a lot about you as a person, by the way, Robin. Well, it says a lot about the people that have that are focused on this mission, right? They yeah. came to, to Flatiron for a reason, and, and they're passionate about oncology, and uh, they want to continue to solve problems in the space. But we we all understood oncology really well. And over the last three years, we've learned so much about that side of the world. And now we're bringing those two worlds together. And ultimately what we see, uh, I would say we are we are an exciting company. I define success by really continuing to build the organization. I think we will always look to continue to build success and help more people. Um, but as we look to build, bring these two sides of the world together, uh, we, we really think that the, the industry will truly change. We've been talking about value-based care since 2012. Uh, but I think this connectivity or connection between these two sides is what will truly create value-based care in oncology. And, and, and as you know very well, Stephen, uh, time care is the first in this space. Uh, there will be plenty more. And uh, it's all about execution. It's all about building the right team, the right model, the right partnerships. And one advantage that I think Bobby and I have is that we come from the community oncology world or the oncology world. And we're firm believers that 
you can't build a successful value-based organization without having the oncologists at the forefront of what you're building. And so, as you know, that is a key component of our model that we partner with community oncologists and oncologists across the country. And we think that alongside our expertise that we've been building on the risk-bearing health plan side is what will will truly drive change in this space. Very cool. Can you spell out, Robin? So I love it. It's amazing. I've always been a big fan of time care, but can you just spell out for our audience what exactly time care does, like the navigation components? Because people hear risk and, you know, they won't really understand what you're doing, which I think is very special. Yeah. So the barriers that that Emmeline focuses on with talks, financial toxicity, barriers to access, et cetera, that you guys do. I will, yeah. Uh, I will say it real quick. Um, it's so interesting hearing how you arrived at wanting to create time care. And I think you're just a much smarter version of me because that whole, <laughs> the whole discrepancy. So I had like a white, where I whiteboarded the value equation because Steve and I were both obsessed with alternative payment models during fellowship. And at the end of the day, one of my mentors, the then COO of Sloan Kettering, Kathy Martin, Catherine Martin, asked me, how, how, does these, how does this actually affect patients? I want you to whiteboard it, figure it out. How does that value equation actually affect patients? And what I realized is that it did not directly affect patients in any way. At best, it indirectly affected them, which we all know is, is no way to incentivize really putting the patient first and doing what's right for them. And so for me, that sent me on this whole path of addressing financial toxicity and affordability, but really what it, and that was just a bandage, I would always say, but what you're doing is you're actually going in and fixing it. You're not putting a bandage on it. You're going in and doing the work to actually align all the stakeholders. So now with that, please share. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just sort of comment on, there's no way I'm smarter than you. I could promise you that, but, uh, but I'm a firm believer that it takes great people to help you build this type of success. And I had my whiteboard session, in late 2019 with Brenton Bernoulli, uh, who we've talked about a lot. And he supported me and pushed me and Bobby through the journey to really get going. And then, and then again, it turns into a small snowballs. People join you, you really build organizations that way. Um, but at a, at a super high level, what we do at TimeCare uh, is we partner with risk-bearing entities. So think of commercial health insurance companies, Medicare Advantage plans, at-risk primary care groups or PCP enablement organizations uh, or employers. And uh, we go to them and say, hey, we want to support all of your population that has a suspected or confirmed diagnosis. And we're going to provide clinical wraparound support services for these people throughout the entire journey. So starting with if there's a suspected diagnosis, there's a team of people at Time Care that interact with that member that try to emulate that phone call that we talked about earlier. Think of now someone guiding you through getting you to an appointment, deciphering what's going on, making sure that all of the coordination between your pathology, your laboratory, your radi- radiology, your, Im- your, your consults with your specialist all happen to get you to a confirmed diagnosis and an oncologist as fast as possible. Once you get to, hopefully you don't have cancer, but if you do have a confirmed diagnosis, you have a team of people, both clinical and non-clinical, guiding you through the entire journey, which includes educating you on your diagnosis, on your treatment, doing a bunch of non-clinical coordination around 
financial toxicity, behavioral support, transportation support, psychosocial support, and then coordinating that throughout your caregivers. So your oncologist, your primary care doctor, you may have a pulmonologist, a surgeon, a radiation oncologist, and pulling that all together so that you as the patient or the family don't have to figure out all these things. We have a team of oncology nurses, nurse practitioners, and care partners guiding you through that journey. And so going back to the comments you made about your whiteboarding, when we think about value-based care and truly impacting a person's journey, we know that if you do all of those things, the data shows that people will have a better experience, they'll have better outcomes, and there'll be a lower cost. And that's our model. Uh, and so we, we currently have about 130 people in the company today. Uh, we've, we're partnered with about 400 or so oncologists. We're in 16 markets. We'll be in 30 markets by the end of this year. Uh, and uh, we have about half a million lives under contract today. About 1% to 2% of those people will have a confirmed diagnosis within the calendar year. And we expect that number of contracted lives to expand uh, very quickly in the next three to six months and beyond. Well done. Robin, is there a specific example? Because you, as a disclaimer, I, I'm an advisor with Time Care because I'm, again, I got, I got privy of, of getting to know Robin so early. And I, I, it's amazing how this concept uh, came to be. But early on, Robin, you'd send us examples like when you guys were first starting, like, a so-and-so patient didn't have transportation and we did this. And Emeline, I know this is such a passion of yours. One of the reasons I love you, Emeline. Robin, are there one or two like examples that when you were doing this early on that you're just like, this, I, this, because you're such a mission, passion-oriented guy that you're like, I have to do this. Um, are there a few examples that you remember? Yeah, I'll give you two cases. I think they're just, case studies are always helpful, uh, especially for docs. In the value-based world, again, this is a non-clinical intervention. We had a member in Northern Jersey who uh, who was undergoing active treatment, um, had late-stage cancer, uh, had one leg amputated, and didn't have transportation uh, to get to his appointments. And so the way that he got to his appointments was he would, he and he lived, I think it was 0.75 miles away from uh, his doctor's office. And his doctor's office was in a medical building attached to the hospital. And the way that he would get to his appointments is he'd call 911, claim an emergency, get an ambulance, get admitted, get discharged by his oncologist who'd walk across the street and then see his, his doc. And that would be a six, seven hour process for this patient, but he, they didn't have anything else to do and they didn't have a way to get to their practice. What we did is we got them on $11 Lyft or Uber. That, that that ambulance ride and admission probably cost the health plan anywhere from three to $7,000 per instance. And you just imagine no one catches these things. The health plan's not thinking about these things. They don't get it. And the oncologist has no idea. And they don't have the incentive. Yeah, even if I knew, I wouldn't know how to get that done. Right. Okay. So that's a, that's a case of coordination that you just identify once you understand these people and you spend the time with them to understand what they're going, what's going on with their lives. We had another case uh, where we had a patient, a multiple myeloma patient uh, undergoing intense treatment uh, and was living on the second floor of a building owned by her son uh, who was estranged. Her son had sold the building and basically evicted his mother 
uh, and told her the shit to be out on that Friday. Now, you can imagine someone who doesn't have the means, uh, who doesn't have support, uh, who doesn't know how to get to appointments, who's going to become homeless within a three or four day period, who's on intensive treatment, how they're going to respond and how they're going to do. They're likely going to end up in the ER. Within 72 hours, we found a distant relative to take this person on, to have them be their caregiver, to get this person housing, and then make sure they get to their treatments and their appointments. These are things that happen on a routine basis, but no one is tracking and no one is incentivized. Uh, but again, if you the data shows that if you just engage and navigate members, it'll create a better experience, a better outcome at a lower cost. I mean, the out the outcome there is a, is night and day how that patient experiences their cancer care. Exactly. Exactly. Um, wow, Robin, I know we're we're pretty much up on time. Uh, Emily, any kind of final? Robin, we love you, man. It's so you're just hearing the way you look at the world is always inspiring to me. And I know you do it with such a big heart. Um, yeah, just in awe. I mean, those are two really extreme examples, but you know, we all see examples every day in our practice where we know the patients need extra help. And then to have a group that's incentivized to deliver that help, it's just a win-win for everyone. So I'm just so glad that you were there, you had the idea and that your team is tackling this. And I'm so glad that you now have our other best friend, Dr. Yeah. Malangi, on your team. Yes. For, for the audience, you'll all get to know Dr. Malangi. She started at Tennessee Oncology today as well and um, it, it is, has a great role with Robin at Time Care. One of Emily and my best friends. Yeah. Well, Robin, thank yeah. you for joining us. Robin, yeah, thank I'll you be, so much, Robin. I have one final question, Robin. Since you're always thinking big, what's like a 10 year vision? Our five-year vision, what's like your other big thing that obviously you're focused on time care right now that you're just like, I can't wait to get into that. And if there's not one, that's okay. We'll interview you again in a few years. I think that there is so much research and work going on in population management and identifying disease early. I'm, I think it, the space is not ready yet. But in five to 10 years, I think we're going to be able to take a population-based approach to identify cancers early and how to intervene the entire population so that you can not only support people earlier in their cancer diagnosis and stage, uh, but you could have better outcomes for populations. I think I'm excited about the space. A lot of invested capital from the venture world has gone into this space. I think it still has not been adopted yet, but I do think in the next five to 10 years, uh, it'll it'll transform cancer, uh, cancer on a population basis. Very cool. I, I agree with that, Robin. All right. Robin, thank you. Emmeline, love doing this with you. Thank you, thank you so much, Stephen and Emmeline. Great to see you both. Thanks, guys. Bye. For all of us at AJMC.com, thanks for listening. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.